Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Hello! Quick announcement before we get into our main episode, we've got an exciting opportunity to share with all of you. We're going to be joining Remarcus for their month-long celebration of Gilmore Girls. For those of you who aren't familiar, Remarcus is an audio-first community hub for fans founded by none other than John Cabrera, the Gilmore Girls actor who plays Brian on the show. We'll be joining them for a watch party of Season 2, Episode 6 on Saturday, June 11th, 3.30 Central Time on the Clubhouse. House app. For more info about how to join us, you can check out our Instagram as well as any of Remarcus' socials. It'll be a lot of fun, so we hope to see you there. Now back to this week's podcast episode. This week we are covering episode 8 of season 2 called The Ins and Outs of Ins. <laughs> <laughs> the Netflix file for this episode is... Lorelai and Sookie have the first fight of their long friendship when Lorelai panics and decides their dream of opening an inn together will fail. Wow. I wish we'd gotten more time of them, like their happy planning before we have mm-hmm. a big fight like this. But yeah, it's a sad, sad scene. I know. I hate, you know, when Richard and Emily fight, Mm -hmm. when Sookie and Lorelai fight. It's like there's just certain pairings in the show that shouldn't fight (laughs) (laughs) for me to be happy. (laughs) I can deal with Lorelai and Emily. I'm Mm -hmm. used to that, right? But (laughs) Even like Lorelai and Luke, depending on the Mm -hmm. circumstances, is fine. Or Lorelai and Rory, Mm -hmm. God forbid. I don't know what to do when we're in that like lol i know later on where they're just fighting for many episodes it's gonna be so hard well we'll get there but (laughs) pertaining to the episode at hand (laughs) uh let's do our talking fast segment where we try to recap it in 30 seconds or less i don't know why i just explained it (laughs) maybe i mean if we have new listeners you never know yeah yeah (laughs) okay i think are you ready to go first this time Hmm. ready is a strong way to word it but yeah okay <laughs> and go Lorelai and Suki are planning to buy the dragonfly in so they go and talk to what's your name I'm forgetting right now the Westons and she says she doesn't want to part with it because it's the last of her family very sad uh, Mia comes into town and Lorelai eventually tells her about this plan she approves and it makes Lorelai nervous she gets scared she fights with Suki over this they eventually make up in the end Meanwhile, Rory shares glances with Jess. He's done a funny, phony crime scene. And that's all the time I've got. <laughs> that was good, though. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. How Are you ready to go? I think so. On your mark, get set, go. Rory's going to be posing for a portrait this episode. We also find out that Lorelai and Suki want the Rachel property. So they talk to Fran about it, but she's never going to die. So they're not going to be able to get it. Mia arrives and Lorelai starts to feel bad about letting Mia down and then she fights with Suki and calls Suki all sorts of terrible things. Later they make up but during all of this uh, Jess has been pulling a prank on the town and Taylor is freaking out. Thousand times. (laughs) Fran that's her name. Oh yeah yeah and the spur of the moment I panicked. (laughs) Okay should we slow down and yes talk about this slow down. it was an action-packed episode 
so yeah it really was I felt like I was constantly taking mm-hmm. notes I need to be careful I think sometimes I begin to like transcribe the episode <laughs> yeah which is not healthy you know gotta stay in the moment <laughs> it does help when we need specific quotes though I yeah if it ever seems like I have like a really good memory it's mostly <laughs> just because I was taking notes that I like look it up but uh, so I want to deflect any compliments to myself <laughs> that I haven't even been given yet <laughs> I I don't know why I started doing this, but I've been taking all my notes by hand, which mm-hmm. I'm way slower at now than I used to be when I used to actually write by hand every day. So yeah, I miss a lot of stuff. I but. wonder if we should each come up with our own shorthand for our note taking, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I do have shorthands like for all the names. I don't write mm. out their full names because that just takes time. Yeah, I should think about that. <laughs> We could become, what, what is it, like a court stenographer or something. Exactly. And they have the fancy things. keyboards, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's begin. So we start this episode off at another Friday night dinner without Richard. I'm starting to really see that his, why his credits say special appearances by, because <laughs> he's really yeah. not showing up much. Um. Um, The only thing that really happens in this opening is we find out that Emily wants uh, to do an oil portrait of Rory (laughs) um, to help Richard get his spirits back up. Lorelai has some great, like, one-liners to say about this, Mm -hmm. but Rory agrees, as always, to do what her grandparents want. Um, I thought the funny line about this was uh, Lorelai, she had said, like, get out of here and Emily says I will not get out of here not understanding the kind of like slang usage of Mm. this phrase it gave me such memories of Princess Diaries and like Mia saying shut up and the queen not understanding um (laughs) but in this conversation as Lorelai begins to like really unpack what she meant she's just like spouting off different sayings and whatnot and Emily asks would you like me to put a mirror in front of you while you have this conversation which I thought was hilarious (laughs) Uh, but right there's going to be an oil portrait of Rory for the study and we'll get a bit more about that as we move forward in the episode but I think that is so like Gilmore so Emily you know I've never Mm -hmm. once had any family member ask me to sit for an oil portrait (laughs) No, my family, like, we barely even take pictures on our phones now of each other, except for the babies. (laughs) Yeah, this is very hoity-toity. Moving forward into the bulk of the episode after the credits, we have the scene at Luke's diner between Luke and Lorelai, and he is helping her with some of her business ideas, like he said he would a few episodes ago. So I like to follow through on that. And Mm -hmm. overall, the two things I noticed in this scene was like the continuation of the Lorelai and Luke friendship throughout this episode. He seemed to be there for her in a lot of moments that I appreciated. And it didn't feel like it had to have these romantic undertones. It was like the supportive element of the relationship, which I liked. And then Mm -hmm. second... Uh, Just that this episode is going to feature heavily the sort of dragonfly in storyline, which I'm like glad that they're continuing as well uh, because it's the dream, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or as Lorelai calls it here, the Rachel property. (laughs) Um, She's like, I'll come up with a different name. (laughs) Yeah. 
I love that, yeah, Luke here, it, it seems like it might be one of the first times that we see him, like, I don't know, being a support in her personal life. I mean, that's not true. We've seen that before. But it just mm-hmm. felt, yeah, it felt different this time. Whereas before, we have always seen those kind of double entendres and things. And this episode, they just seemed like friends. Yeah. Or helping with her kind of professional side. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I guess he does help a lot. Like, he came to fix the stage before. He's helped her at her house. Like, But there's just something that felt a little different about it to me mm-hmm. in a pleasant way. Like, just seeing another yeah. side of their relationship. Yeah. We also get to hear more about Luke and his business acumen, which... We don't really, like, know anything about so far, except that he has his dad's hardware store. You know, I think a good moment for a just sass attack also <laughs> appears in this scene. <laughs> like, as their conversation is wrapping up, uh, Jess comes over to pour them coffee or something like that, and Lorelai asks, like, how are you, Jess, trying to be cordial? And he says, I'm not bleeding or anything. <laughs> and then he says to Luke, like, I need to go to school, or do you want to defy child labor laws? And... <laughs> something I appreciate about this is that I feel like maybe we haven't said it before but Jess is a bit of like a drama queen (laughs) you know he's like just always out of 10 here like he could just be like I want to go to school but he's being the most dramatic about it like you're defying child labor laws if you don't let me go right now at 7 45 a.m on the dot and I liked it (laughs) yeah he's such a show-off he really knows that he's like witty and smart Mm -hmm. and he makes a big show of it yeah, I love that. I also completely forgot to put it put down a dress sass attack for this episode, but I have one in mind, and I have found a sound effect for our episodes for this, so it's oh, now nice. a segment. Cool. <laughs> After this, we go to the Independence Inn, and we get to see Lorelai and Suki really chatting about their future, <laughs> their brainstorming name ideas, um... Michelle, of course, is kind of following around, predicting the doom of their business. <laughs> they never mention the actual name of the property, like the dragonfly as a contender, which I'm glad that they stick with in the future because it's a great name. Michelle, like, also comes into the scene, we learn, with the papers that include the deed or the title to the, you know, the not Rachel property. <laughs> and he... So they're like looking to see who the owner is. I love Suki when she says, tell me it's not that bastard Donald Trump. <laughs> that was my Rory's bookshelf for this episode was that I debated Yay. whether to use this reference because I have personal dislike. I mean, as I think many people do for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but, putting it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> but I just thought it was so funny that it's like a popular culture reference that hit in the early 2000s and is so much bigger now <laughs> like it's something mm-hmm. that's grown exponentially um it felt like it was ahead of its time to yeah me a bit yeah like the only i didn't know who he was at this point he had been an extra in home alone to lost in new york oh yeah but that was all that i knew <laughs> i think i was vaguely aware of him as when whenever he had the show where he fired people mm. or whatever that might have been later on but that was such like a vague recollection yeah but. 
Anywho, yeah, I really liked that reference. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, he does not own the property. Fran from Weston's Bakery does. And they feel optimistic about that at this moment, at least, and plan to go talk to her, which is going to be the following scene. But there is a very short clip in between. <laughs> a mysterious little tidbit. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. Um, and it leads to a great weird weird storyline in this episode but we see taylor walking through stars hollow town square up to dosi's market and he happens upon a crime scene <laughs> like there's yeah. just crime scene yellow tape strung around the entrance to the market and then there's a chalk outline of a person on the ground there's no person mm-hmm. there's no evidence of an actual crime but this, yeah, is very sus, as as yeah. the kids would say, I think. <laughs> and ambiguous, as we would say, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and we will only figure out what happened a bit later on in the episode. In the meantime, we are at Weston's, where Lorelai and Suki are meeting Fran. Uh, it's very clear that they want us to know Suki is late in this scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) which will come up later again in their argument later on Uh, Suki arrives talking about how she got really caught up baking how she became kind of like fixated on not serving a similar dessert as she had before and Lorelai says she's like a perfectionist and kind of just like waves it off at this moment but you know, secretly seems to hold it in and take it out against her later on. Yeah, at this point, she's really complimentary of Suki's, like, single-mindedness at having the not repeating desserts and stuff like that, Um, which, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come back to. But then we have Fran arrives, and we've seen her before when Lorelai and Rory were testing out wedding cakes. Um, mm-hmm. Very... Uh, suspiciously since Suki was making Lorelai's but (laughs) Fran I guess there wasn't any kind of like riff between them after that (laughs) because they seem perfectly happy talking now yeah maybe because the wedding was canceled Fran never knew (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but anyways Fran sits well she had she enters the conversation with some health gripes just kind of talking about how she's in I don't know, old age pain and stuff. And she sits down <laughs> with them and they she continues with more health gripes that Lorelai and Suki look aghast about. But they eventually get along to asking Fran about the Dragonfly Inn property and whether she'd be willing to sell it to them. I was pretty surprised Lorelai says that they're willing to make an offer at that moment, which mm-hmm. seems... Like, did they already go to the bank and everything? We just didn't see that, but... Yeah, where is this capital coming from? Mm -hmm. But sadly, Fran says no. She She's really... It's weird because she starts off by saying she's really excited and thinks that they'll be really successful, but she can't sell them the dragonfly. And her rationale is that she doesn't have any family left. She's the last person in her family So the dragonfly is all she has. I thought that was very strange. Doesn't she have the bakery and the dragonfly (laughs) is like a dilapidated old building? Like, is that really the symbol of her family? But (laughs) 
Right. I feel like we're supposed to view it as like irrational so that we're on Sookie and Lorelai's side as the viewer and then this like conflict that doesn't seem to have like a logical bearing on the other side. I don't know. Either way, it's like it presents this conflict whereas we thought perhaps their journey to getting the inn would be, you know, a fairly smooth no obstacles but this is a big one and it's like well how do you even resolve this you know it's not that she wants more money or something like that it's just like I don't know but it brings along the funny kind of undertones of waiting for Fran to die (laughs) or as Sookie later puts it like wanting to know God's plan for her (laughs) or when she takes the long vacation (laughs) yeah and Fran does not pick up on these like not so subtle questions at this moment either no. they keep like well what happens to the property if you know you go on a long vacation and she's like i don't like vacation <laughs> it's a frustrating conversation i guess for them but it was hilarious to watch for us yeah but what it basically comes down to is that the dream of the inn is kind of on hold or yeah at least like certain. an impasse yeah and this scene was also my Lorelai's closet for the sweater that Fran is wearing. Huh. I thought it was the epitome of like grandma fashion. <laughs> it's like this big kind of, I would say, knit cardigan or sweater. And it's like blue as the sky and it has green evergreen trees. And then kind of around one of her shoulders is a squirrel. And it's sort of like cartoonish landscape. I just love it. It's so sweet. Wow. I didn't even <laughs> I would wear that. that. We will have similar Lorelai's closets as mine comes up in just a minute. <laughs> but we leave this scene with Fran. After this, we catch up with Lane and Rory who are walking through town. And they happen upon the crime scene. <laughs> Scare quotes there. <laughs> yeah. And... This is where my Lorelai's closet... I actually had a lot in this scene. So my Lorelai's closet <laughs> is for Taylor, who comes in, and he's wearing, a, like, an oatmeal chunky cardigan with mm-hmm. the, like, elbow patches. And the kind of thing that, you know, if Chris Evans wore it, like he did in <laughs> Knives Out, everybody would be obsessed with it. Yeah, <laughs> here it's just like a comfy old man sweater and something I aspire to wear in the future. Taylor walked so Chris Evans and Knives Out could <laughs> <Yes>. run. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Taylor would be tickled if we told him that. <laughs> <laughs> so Taylor's been freaking out about the chalk body. They go on this kind of debate about what does it actually mean? Like, where is the body? And it's all just nonsensical. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Rory finds Dean within the um, mass of people and everybody else is starting to think that may or Dean is, thinks that maybe this is just a big prank. And so this is my Stars Hollow moment is all of this kind of speculating over what happened. And especially <laughs> when Rory looks off into the distance and sees Jess standing there looking all suspicious and smirking. <laughs> I thought... Um... Like, the fact that the scene was so nonsensical is part of what made it my nomination. And one of the details related to that is um, that there's, like, a police officer there. And she's saying, 
Well, I talked to everyone at the precinct and none of us are like responsible for the scene. And Taylor's like, but you own the tape. And later on, she says, like, we're going to count everyone in town to see if anyone's missing. And like a minute later, she says, "Okay, we counted. No one's like unaccounted for. (laughs) And I was like, how how could you have counted the town that fast? And how do you know like every single person? And it just makes no sense. But it also makes perfect sense for this like mystical small town of Stars Hollow and the fact that it's all just boils down to this elaborate prank on Jess's part and that he gets Taylor so worked up over it is just genius and hilarious (laughs) yeah it is a great prank Mm -hmm. and like we've talked before about how Jess like he's not he's not like mean-spirited or anything but Mm -hmm. he knows that he can push people's buttons And so he does it. And this is like such a harmless way to do that. Right. And so creative as well. Yeah. Like it's boring for him to take money from Taylor's jar, you know, but it's very thought out and entertaining for him to fake a crime scene. It's very elaborate, you know, like clearly he's bored in this town and needed something to do. (laughs) And the thought that he like maybe snuck out in the middle of the night to do this. (laughs) He planned it. He bought the chalk. And the tape. Following this scene, the day continues as Lorelai and Suki, or I think this might be the next day because Suki's talking about a dream that was inspired by their conversation with Fran. Um, And they're continuing to talk about, you know, their goals of opening their inn. I had a question for you. Uh, Suki describes her dream here. Did it spark any thoughts for you related to your research on dreams? (laughs) Well... So we could go a Jungian path here and talk about Mm. Carl Jung's dream anima uh, theory, which is that everybody's like shadow side is um, personified in their dreams as like either a dark woman lurking on the edge of their dreams or a dark man like lurking on the edge of their dreams. Kind of like uh, I was just thinking of um, the princess and the frog disney movie and the like magician guy he's just always kind of lurking there but Mm -hmm. um and they yeah it's a personification of their shame and their uh kind of fears and everything that just always follows Mm -hmm. them around so that could be what fran here is doing (laughs) for suki yeah that makes sense Because Suki's like, I saw all of us and we were all really old, but Fran looked the same. (laughs) So it's got like the shame of her feeling so angry about Fran, like living forever, Mm -hmm. you know, but also her fear of like never getting the it. So I feel like that theory works well for her dream. Yeah, (laughs) it's very accurate, 100%. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But within this scene, um, as they're talking about Suki's dream, Michelle arrives and says that the boss is here. And mm-hmm. who could this be but Mia, who we've never met before. I no, yeah. don't remember if we've even really heard about her before. I mean, we've heard of Lorelai and Rory's life living at the inn when she was yeah. a baby, but I don't remember hearing about Mia. If it, if we have, it's been in passing, but which makes it feel so 
weird when like every single character greets her with like extreme familiarity like she's been a steady presence this entire time and I was almost confused into thinking like was she in season one and I just forgot but no it's like this is her first appearance Mm -hmm. actually (laughs) and I guess she lives out in San Diego it sounds like so she's just visiting and Lorelai manages everything for her um but yeah, everybody is excited to see her. Rory and Lorelai run over and hug her and are inspected by her. She mm-hmm. is playing this long-running pl- prank on Michelle, which I thought was hilarious. Um, although it could also be like s- slightly mean. But <laughs> Yeah, about not understanding yeah. his French accent. She's like... After, you know, all these years, <laughs> I can't, she's like, what do you say? And Rory pretends to translate for him and gets it incorrect purposefully to like pretend to create this feud, like Michelle is saying, go away and things like that. And he's so frustrated. And I was like naive at first and not realizing this is a bit on her part. And I <laughs> thought she actually couldn't understand him. And I was like, what's going on? You can, he's clearly speaking, but. Yeah, then I started to, like, realize, okay, I think they're all in on this, except for him, maybe. <laughs> it's probably just, like, Michelle is not intimidated by any other authority figure. Lorelai's yeah. technically his, like, supervisor, and he is fine with being sassy towards her. But when Mia shows up, he's, like, bowing and scraping, kind of. And <laughs> it is fun to see that yeah. power dynamic <laughs> shift. But, I mean, in in other circumstances, making fun of people's accents, it's not great. (laughs) No, no. I guess the other thing that makes it feel more harmless is the fact that it's, like, a French accent Mm -hmm. as well, which I feel like is often upheld as, like, a cool, sophisticated accent. So to, like, pretend that you can't understand it, it would be different if it was a different language, Mm -hmm. you know, that is, like, more stigmatized in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for, like, racist reasons, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we continue to follow Mia reuniting with different Stars Hollows figures with, like, a lot of closeness. Like, she meets Luke at his diner. She calls him Lucas. (laughs) And they have a very long hug. Like, (laughs) quite long. (laughs) And, you know, made my speculation start to go, like, maybe his only... Maybe Rachel wasn't his only ex-girlfriend in town, you know? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. But yeah, it was super. It it wasn't even just like a, I don't know, the hug in itself. They were also very close to each other. Like it was full Mm -hmm. frontal contact hug. (laughs) Maybe embrace is a proper word. Because they were like standing there holding each other and like talking. Yeah, it's very strange. Mm -hmm. But after this... um, So they sit down at the table and Mia gets to meet Jess a little bit and I have my gazebo moment and just like this whole scene that happens right after this with Mia at the diner Mm -hmm. kind of reminiscing on Luke as a child and she talks about how Luke used to carry people's grocery bags and then charge him a quarter per bag and then she starts talking about how he used to skateboard all the time and wear this one shirt every single day. And we find out that Luke is a Trekkie. That was almost my Lorelai's closet. Just the imagination of him wearing a Star Trek 
t-shirt like the same one for a yeah. year I loved I loved that detail <laughs> I I was disappointed in Lorelai and Rory for making fun of him for this like I mean it is funny that he wore the same shirt every day for a year but Star Trek is a great show <laughs> and it has so many different iterations that have been great in their own ways I think that they might actually like the show except that I feel there's like a stigma against women liking sci-fi which is ridiculous I love sci-fi but I could also see Mia makes the connection between how Jess is kind of a monosyllabic person and how uh, Luke was the same. I could also Mm -hmm. see Jess doing these same things, maybe not carrying the bags for people, but skateboarding and even wearing a Star Trek shirt. I feel like he wouldn't be embarrassed to do that. So they're very just more similarities between them. Yeah, like the way that Luke can translate for Jess when Jess says, huh, and Mm -hmm. Luke says, that means, hello, nice to meet you, in slacker. (laughs) So like he's calling him a slacker, which is a little ironic just to like get off topic because all that we've seen of Jess in this episode is him working in the diner. So like he's not really slacking at all. But this like teasing back and forth between him and Luke and their similarities, it just is the beginning of a really fruitful relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That is so delightful to watch. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, this doesn't last. <laughs> Taylor barges in. This was another great Taylor versus Luke moment. Um, right. So Taylor has been looking into this phony murder that's been happened that happened, <laughs> and he lists off all of the different organizations that he represents. I'm pretty sure he's probably the only member of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> he is trying to say that um, he suspects that Jess was the one to do it, and he has some random weird evidence, like somebody might have seen Jess coming out of a craft store where he could have bought chalk. <laughs> And he was skulking around. So this is... Yeah, skulking and lurking. (laughs) So this is the beginning of Taylor blaming everything on Jess. He was right, but also it was a harmless prank. So, (laughs) And Mia says she missed the small town theater, (laughs) which is like a perfect kind of way, a phrase to encapsulate a lot of what we describe about the like heightened over the top often very performative elements of like the community especially when taylor is involved (laughs) yeah he is very theatrical the scene ends with uh mia basically saying how she'd be lost without lorelei they kind of are wrapping things up by having a discussion about lorelei's success at the inn and how mia relies on her doesn't even need to be like present anymore at this point And this kind of transitions us into the next scene, the next day where Lorelai starts to feel a bit guilty about, you know, reflecting. Now that Mia is there, it's putting into perspective for her that their dream about moving forward and doing something new would mean, like, leaving behind the Independence Inn, and that would entail, like, leaving Mia and, you know, how much she's done for them, and Lorelai's just beginning to have these feelings of guilt essentially yeah it's kind of i don't know she doesn't like outright tell suki what's going on which i think is a problem that comes up that kind of grows 
throughout the next couple of days or however time works in Stars Hollow. Um, but it is an interesting thing to think about. Like, if I mean, if they move forward, they'll be hurting Mia and they'd never considered that before. They hadn't considered how the Independence Inn would keep going without them. It's not really something that they should consider um, because their lives are more important. <laughs> yeah, they don't owe her anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, maybe Lorelai does, but if she, even if she does, I feel like she's satisfied mm-hmm. the debt. And like, I don't even know if it's really a debt because although Mia did her a favor by hiring her when she supposedly didn't really have any skills, like the minute she was hired, like at that point, what she owes her boss is simply like <laughs> the labor required mm-hmm. by the job and nothing more, right? Like, I don't, yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I guess she gave her like housing, things like that. Yeah. Definitely, there, is, I feel like Lorelai does owe her something, but not in the like whole that doesn't mean she's beholden to work for her forever, yeah. you know? Yeah, not in a capitalistic way. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's like the lens I fell into of like. You're you can leave your boss at any point. You are replaceable. <laughs> that is how they view you. You will, you yeah. know. <laughs> That's the very right now lens of reading yeah. this show, I think. The great resignation. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But during this, we also get a phone call from Emily who is trying to convince Rory to sit for her portrait. She has Rory posed outside with a swan. And her arm up above her head. <laughs> kind of like a ballet pose yeah, in like a way. so unnatural. But only like one side of the pose. <laughs> it was so weird. Like, and sitting down, the only, I mean, I could see that in a painting if there was like a high back chair and you were like reaching to the back behind you, but there's no reason to have that pose just sitting there. And I'm assuming, I mean, to sit for a real portrait, I think, takes many days and this is obviously sped up but it would at least take many hours and you can't just sit there with your arm above your head for hours yeah (laughs) so Lorelai suggests uh to do a more natural pose and Emily is persuaded by this pretty quickly perhaps because at one point the swan honks (laughs) at both of them and like Lorelai I mean sorry Rory and Emily are both like jumping or clearly scared so eventually they kind of settle on a pose of her reading a book in a chair which makes a lot of sense because that's something Rory would do and it's also going in Richard's study you know so I was glad they came to a compromise on this and that it would actually feel like Rory you know because this is yet again one of the favors that she's doing for Emily something she would never do on her own so it's good that at least it will like reflect some of her true character Mm -hmm. yeah and maybe Richard will appreciate it even more mm-hmm. rather than having like a, a portrait of somebody who looks like Rory but is not doing Rory things <laughs> yeah I begin to wonder like to what extent I don't know I guess we've just talked about how Rory does these favors for her grandparents I don't know part, I, I don't have a full thought on this yet but I feel like perhaps I'm beginning to connect it to like does she begin to get like a little indoctrinated that's a hard word but or like just the gets like the taste of their society where she thinks she's just doing it on their behalf but she kind of likes it almost like the forbidden fruit right (laughs) and if we see like the we see the results of that later on 
when she does the whole Yale storyline, you know, where perhaps it's not coming out of the blue, her embracing that kind of socialite sort of life. But like she's been like she's dipping her toes in that water now under the guise of it being favors. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. This could be like a stretch, but I think I think you're on to something. And I yeah, I wonder if like she's doing it now as favors because she lives with Lorelai and Lorelai is so adamant against all of this and would Mm -hmm. like make fun of her I think if she admitted that she actually liked it so Mm -hmm. that might be part of it but uh, yeah I think you're right it does build up all that's not out of nowhere Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. These are dark times, dark times indeed. Stars Hollow is plagued with phony crime scenes and mysteries, but Taylor Dosey is here when you need him to be a voice to the worried citizens of Stars Hollow. Taylor proudly represents the Stars Hollow Business Association, the Stars Hollow Tourist Board, the Stars Hollow Neighborhood Watch Organization, and the Stars Hollow Citizens for a Clean Stars Hollow Council. All this to say, Taylor has your back. Have you noticed any teens skulking around the town square lately? Any juveniles visiting craft stores? Perhaps you have even been shocked by yards of yellow tape with with bold letters, crime scene assaulting your vision. Not to worry, because Taylor is on it. He conducts his own hard-hitting investigations and isn't afraid to hold a secret town meeting to bring down the perpetrator clandestinely. But Taylor could use the support of Talking Fast listeners. While he does have the bulk of the Stars Hollow community organizations behind him, he can sometimes run into a bit of skepticism from townsfolk. So, help Taylor out by coming to the next town hall meeting about 30 minutes early. But shh, don't tell anybody. And most of all, don't tell the guardians of those pesky yous. Speaking of building up, (laughs) the feud between Luke and the town and Taylor about this Jess problem comes to the full the forefront in this town hall meeting mm-hmm. that is the center of the next scene. And uh, Mia says as they're like walking that she's hoping for some controversy because she hasn't been to one in a while and she definitely gets her wish and then some. <laughs> yeah, they show up and they're walking with Luke. Luke says that they're early, like 3 minutes early. They show up and the meeting is already going. And everybody goes silent. This was my Friday night dinner. Was Taylor's duplicitousness. Is that a word? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Duplicity. With how he's dealing with this. Um, Mm -hmm. And just like the... I think I brought this up a little bit when I gave my justifications a couple episodes ago. (laughs) About how like the perception of adults like the perception adults have of teenagers especially ones who are not you know just conforming all all the way is often 
completely blown out of proportion and also puts like so much I don't want to say that Jess isn't responsible for this because obviously he is he chose to do it but he's 17 it's harmless <laughs> like mm-hmm. the this response and the response like even to the other things that he's done it's just it's just ridiculous and to be keeping Luke out of the conversation when Luke is his guardian and the person who should be the first one to discipline Jess it's I don't know it just makes like the whole town kind of have it just gives me a bad taste for the whole town like and and it is funny because it is still the stars hollow crowd but at the same it's also just like this is extremely insulting to Luke and his history with the town and to Jess who just moved here and is just trying to figure out where he exists in this place I agree. I was like, I didn't want to be dramatic, but like, and I'm trying to think about how to phrase it, but I thought there were some interesting like clues throughout this episode too, like about this whole, like, first of all, like you mentioned, like he's not there and they didn't even tell his guardian about it. And they literally say like the charges against your nephew, like there's no sense of like the actual they're like putting him on trial where no one is there to speak for him and he hasn't actually been like convicted (laughs) or like you know guilty like innocent until proven guilty there's none of that and there's at the end like Luke jokes about tar and feathers which is first of all like a rather violent thing to joke about Mm -hmm. but Taylor like considers it and I think it's supposed to be a joke but he's like oh I hadn't thought of that and Later on, the last clue I was thinking about, or not clue, but just detail, Jess mentions that the fact that they met to talk about him in this town meeting was very To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there's this there's this weird like undertone of mentioning almost like mob violence and lynchings and stuff like that, which is really painting Jess as like the other that is being attacked by the town and it's so interesting because he's white and the rest of the town is white whereas like a lot of these references bring up like racial violence specifically in my mind uh which is a lot of what To Kill a Mockingbird is about so I thought it was just like fascinating and also like awful like it was fascinatingly awful mm-hmm. <laughs> and like goes to the goes to what our our I think our discussion that's come up a couple times about like the the stars hollow like on the it's like utopia versus dystopia or like charmingly that everyone knows each other versus like surveillance Mm -hmm. state you know (laughs) like it has a really like dark underbelly to it that flares up in moments like this that I think is really interesting to think about and it's scary as well (laughs) but yeah that was also my like my Friday night dinner was in that as well if you couldn't tell (laughs) that was a great way to describe the uneasiness that I was feeling about the whole thing Mm -hmm. it's just another example of like just because a place is welcoming to you doesn't mean that it's welcoming to everybody and yeah, like who is this com- who is this town yeah. comfortable for? Yeah. How, like where does their open-mindedness stop? And it mm-hmm. has a very clear stop right before Jess here even yeah. though he's been there for a couple weeks has probably barely mm-hmm. spoken to anybody. Yeah, I was disappointed in the town here. 
And I, I feel like yeah. Taylor is often the character. And I've talked before about how I love Taylor because he's a curm- curmudgeon. But he's also always the one walking that line between and usually crossing over the line uh, in so many of these social situations, which I feel like is part of what makes him funny sometimes. But yeah. Yeah. Or intriguing. Yeah. I did like how Lorelai defended Luke at the end. Mm-hmm. And it, I also like that she like stands up and then it's kind of like, oh, may I? And he says, yeah, go ahead. Like, you know, Lorelai often involves herself in things where she's not welcome. But I like that she got his approval and he was like happy to have someone stick up for him in the meeting where it felt like everyone in the room was against him. So I thought that was yet another nice moment of theirs in the episode where they're really like, there for each other as backup especially because Lorelai seems to have mixed feelings about Jess but she's willing to like put those aside to defend Luke's role in all of it yeah because half of what they were attacking was Luke himself despite everything he's done for the community and he like lists off a whole bunch of stuff that he's been a part of and all that he even mentions that he was going to keep his diner open late for people after the meeting but now of course he's not going to and it just is like another example of how he he is a team player for the town even if he doesn't put up autumnal decorations like taylor wants and they should respect him enough to let him deal with whatever problem has come up totally so with all of those kind of bad vibes in mind luke storms out of the meeting the restaurant will not open for turkey burgers or anything else (laughs) (laughs) afterward And, you know, Mia, Rory, and Lorelai leave on their own. Rory quickly leaves them because she said she's going to go check on Dean, who apparently the last couple days has been trying to scrape off the, like, drawing of the body, (laughs) the chalk drawing, which I thought was funny because in my experience, chalk comes off the sidewalk very Mm -hmm. easily. Yeah, just like a hose (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm like, Dean, uh you okay buddy like you can't quite figure out how to get it off the sidewalk what or did Jess actually use like a material that isn't chalk and it's actually more difficult to get off either way it's kind of funny to me I wish he had used spray paint and then it just was there for the rest of ever that would have been great yeah that'd be a really good like detail (laughs) um but as after Rory has disappeared Lorelai and Mia go and continue to walk around the square and this is finally the opportunity for Lorelai to bring up um, the potential that she and Suki will be leaving and she tells Mia that they're planning to open their own inn. Mia is like initially very supportive. She thinks that they're both super talented and they'll be a great success Um, Mm -hmm. and then she admits that or asks you know what their timeline is and admits that she would like this to happen sooner rather than later and we find out that Mia has only kept the independence in because Lorelai and maybe Suki worked there and she didn't want to like sweep their jobs out from under them (laughs) and this is Lorelai doesn't respond to this very much but you can see something change in her in her face um yeah she's just she it's just like 
that Mia would shut down the Independence Inn or sell it is just something that she hadn't even considered at all. She thought it was mm-hmm. just going to be a conversation about her and Suki moving on. And now it's like Mia is moving on as well. So, Yeah, it's definitely a turning point in the episode. And I feel like something that if you hadn't seen it before would come as a surprise because you're like, in theory, it means everything is going to work really well. And it's great that Mia didn't have any hard feelings about them leaving. Uh, but it like leads to the fight in a moment. Um, I just I was kind of moved by the fact that Mia like kept the inn open on behalf of Lorelai. Because <laughs> just a few minutes ago, we were talking about like, does Lorelai owe Mia anything? And to think about that detail it's just like, you know, if only all wealthy people were that kind, <laughs> like maybe capitalism wouldn't be so bad. But that's not how it works usually. But it's in like Mia's character is super interesting in the fact that I think it only works because she's there. This is her, this her only episode. She has another episode later on that casting has changed. But when they go out to mm. her wedding, it's like oh, when yeah. Rory's with Logan. So it's okay. for quite a while. Okay. Yeah. But like her character is like completely good. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like does everything right. She's so kind. She's funny. Like all of these things. And I think it would be boring if she was always there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she just kind of like arrives quickly, leaves quickly. And we see that she's kind of like this guardian angel figure for Lorelai and Rory. And yeah, I think it works in small doses. You can't have someone like that perfect around <laughs> all the time. That's true. <laughs> But we end off the night here and then uh, we're going to get into the the real doozy of the episode. And I'm not talking about Taylor Dosey. I'm talking about <laughs> the fight that comes next. Um, so I guess it's the next day. We're back at the inn. Suki comes up to Lorelai. I guess they're getting ready for a wedding. So Lorelai's like putting together the event planning stuff. Suki is talking about some inspiration she had for the wedding menu. Lorelai is just being super short and cold to her, like not really giving real responses. Finally, after a while, it starts to throw Suki off a little bit. Then Lorelai goes on this tirade about um, how maybe they shouldn't be looking at starting an inn. She talks about how Suki is really unreliable and she talks about the business economy and she's just like condescending towards Suki this entire time and it's heartbreaking to watch. It's so sad. Yeah, I feel like in this moment and then later on when Lorelai apologizes, um, what is addressed is the fact that Lorelai was like, cruel to her and that Lorelai's confidence in them and Suki and their dream was like shaken and she her apology is basically like I was taking out my like worries on you I'm sorry and I promise that my confidence isn't gonna falter moving forward which is great and all but like they never address Lorelai's own faults Mm -hmm. in their business partnership here either like her problem is that she hasn't been communicating any of these thoughts or doubts clearly and openly like if she truly does have a problem with Suki's punctuality or her practicality when it comes to like sticking to a budget for a new in like there's a way to 
have that conversation without being condescending about it or bringing it up in the middle of an argument. And I feel like it would have been within Suki's right easily to be like, listen, you're not, you know, operating perfectly as a business partner either. Mm -hmm. And I wish they could have admitted that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was just really hard to watch overall. And I really felt for Suki at the end of their argument where she says like, I don't want to start crying because you're going to say I'm too emotional and weak to go into business. Mm -hmm. And so she leaves. And I felt like that spoke spoke a lot to like the like the gendered kind of existence of femme people in like business settings where if your reaction to like sadness or anger or anything is like tears, you worry how you're going to be read because you're already encountering so many like gendered stereotypes and expectations about like emotional femmes and women and whatnot Mm -hmm. so I I felt like that was a really sad and vulnerable vulnerable moment for Suki especially because she was feeling that pressure from her very best friend who's also (laughs) a woman and it just showed like how horrible that argument was and the place it put her in and I don't entirely feel like the apology from Lorelai truly accounted for everything at the end of the episode. I agree. I also read this whole fight as more evidence still to my theory or headcanon, I guess, that Suki could be um, on the autism spectrum and representation for that, like through the way Mm -hmm. that she handles this whole conflict. um, She starts off not necessarily reading Lorelai's body language and social cues, which are a complete surprise to her. So why would she be Mm -hmm. looking for that? Um, And then throughout the entire fight, when Lorelai is being pretty passive aggressive through everything, Suki keeps asking her to just tell her, like, tell her straight, like, tell her the actual thing that is making her angry, like, what's actually going on and what does she actually mean here? And I thought it was a great example of somebody, like, advocating for how they deal with conflict like that. Like, Suki throughout the entire time was like, you know, I need you to tell me a certain way so that I can understand, you know, I need you to Mm -hmm. like, um, you know that I don't know much about this. So please don't talk to me this certain way. And then, yeah, that very ending was just like heartbreaking. Like I'm going to remove myself because this is not working for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm, I need to have a breakdown in my own space without you judging me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. On a, like on a lighthearted note, I thought the line where Suki says, um, like, Lorelai just brings up randomly, like, oh, I'm not sure we should do this in this economy. Mm-hmm. And Suki's like, that's not fair because I don't know anything about the economy. <laughs> I was like, same, Suki. <laughs> I know. I just, you know, I have vague understandings of economics. So that was like, I chuckled about that amidst the rest of my, like, displeasure, yeah. you know. <laughs> Got a nice wake-up call when I went to fill up my gas tank this morning for the economy. Seriously, like five dollars yeah. a gallon. Uh, anyway, yeah, we'll we'll like pick up a bit more about this when we go to their apology scene later on. But there are a couple scenes that seem to happen like in that same day, uh, where like Rory is with Dean, uh, probably after school, like in the afternoon, and he wants to go pick up his paycheck, so he leaves her at the rather dangerous corner because a crime scene has just happened there at least according to Jess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who approaches her and it's like should you be standing alone 
and she's really like brief with him and I love his question. He says, feeling succinct today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that word. And just like, I just love that Jess would ask someone else if they're feeling succinct. Because how that just describes his entire communication style thus far. <laughs> it shows just like how different he is around Rory. Yeah, the fact that he actually starts a conversation with her, like walks over to talk to her, is so much more than he does with like any other person. Mm-hmm. Rory ends up kind of going off on him, telling him um, how his actions are affecting Luke and Luke's standing in the town. And she tells Jess about Luke standing up for him and talks about how Jess, like, doesn't care at all about Luke or about what people think of him or Luke's feelings. And you kind of see Jess, like, trying to mask an, a revelation, I guess, like he mm-hmm. he is realizing something that he hadn't before, which is that his actions are really affecting Luke, but he doesn't he's trying not to show it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I have my just sass attack moment, I think, at the very end of this when <laughs> he looks at Rory and he asks, Did you at least think it was funny? And Rory can't help but smile <laughs> and say that's not the point. <laughs> Um, and it's just like a great, he, he has heard her and he's heard like all these complaints and everything, but he also still has to use a little bit of that wit and charm. And then Dean arrives and they have a super awkward introduction. Yeah. This is the first time we see all three of them together and it's very like very short Mm -hmm. statements that mean a lot. (laughs) Just as like boyfriend. And Rory says, of course. (laughs) He says, sorry, you didn't say. And, um, like, Dean doesn't seem that phased by Jess yet. Like, he kind of looks back at him as him and Rory walk away. But it's not even, like, an evil look Mm -hmm. yet. You know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was... I I just hadn't realized yet that Rory had never told Jess that she had a boyfriend. So I thought that was an interesting Mm -hmm. little tidbit that might be foreshadowing. Yeah, it foreshadows so much of how Rory interacts mm-hmm. with Jess and Dean both throughout the season that I have problems with, yeah. but we'll unfold it <laughs> as we go. Uh, my Rory's bookshelf was in this scene when Rory um, describes Jess as Holden Caulfield, 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 um, who's like the protagonist of The Catcher in the Rye, oh, which was yeah. from 1951. I actually read this book in a class that was about like American rebels and like rebellion and stuff like that. And um, I didn't love the book, honestly, (laughs) that much. And Holden becomes this kind of like iconic sort of teen rebel, teen angst kind of figure. And I, in American, like 20th century fiction, but uh, it didn't really resonate with me at all. It's very much like, I feel like the white boy teen angst mm-hmm. in particular uh, when it's like there's just so much other interesting like resistance and rebellion in literature in the 1950s and deeper ways I feel like um, so I just thought it was ultimately though like a good reference because that is kind of like his sort of vibe that he gives off is this sort of outcast um, angsty boy that I think he's putting on, you know, it's not his only like 
it's a bit performative mm-hmm. on Jess's part as well. Like we said before, kind of like putting out what reflecting what others see him as he's like projecting a certain level it's all it's complicated it's layers you know but (laughs) yeah I've never read that book I know it's like a typical high school book to read but I never I don't know never read it I wouldn't really recommend it yeah I feel that way about a lot of those books (laughs) that were assigned in high school like I recently read Fahrenheit 451 wasn't a fan although I feel like there are some good images in it but yeah a lot of books like that I'm just like that that have that huge like a uh, reputation just yeah my cup of tea but <laughs> <laughs> okay moving forward on to the second Friday night dinner of the episode this seems to be later that day because Lorelai is like very cranky from the offset in this scene clearly like still kind of um in the same mindset as she was in from her fight with Sookie earlier um she's like I don't know she's just really mean about like the painting reveal uh she says some like really kind of like sarcastic and biting comments to Emily about the picture of Rory and even Rory is just kind of like dude like what what gives like that was uncalled for yeah Especially because it was such a nice portrait in comparison to what it could have been. (laughs) And I also wonder, like, how did someone paint that that fast? (laughs) Like, it's been a week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But other than that, it was pretty lovely. Yeah, (laughs) at least it was a nice pose. She looked kind of like she was in, I don't know, a Renaissance painting or something, dress and all that, which is a strange choice. But So Rory does kind of shoo Lorelai after Emily to go and apologize um, and I thought this was interesting. Lorelai tells Emily about the fight that she's had with Suki and how that's affecting her. I don't think we've really mm-hmm. seen her talk so much about her personal life like this before. Um, like tell her mother her problems. But within this, she also mentions that Mia is in town and we see Emily's face just kind of like flatten as... Lorelai says that and uh, she starts to contemplate things. <laughs> yeah, she like registers that information. And I feel like it's so interesting the past few episodes we have seen their relationship develop. Like you mentioned, like I can't think of another time we would have seen Lorelai share this information willingly. <laughs> and at the same time, like Emily is still... Like, I feel like she's still fighting with Richard. He hasn't been there since we saw their last, like, unresolved fight. So I feel like it's she's still in a vulnerable state. And to hear about Mia probably hit even harder for her at this moment, too. That's true. Yeah, we'll see what happens about that in just a minute. <laughs> there yeah. wasn't really anything else in this Friday night dinner. We really, like, the drama between Emily and Lorelai has been pretty tamped down in the past almost in this whole season so far especially because the Richard and Emily thing has been more to the forefront so we don't have any contentious dinner time talk (laughs) not right now (laughs) but we next move to I guess next day sometime later and um Luke is over at Lorelai and Rory's house and he's repairing the hoopah 
And he's also kind of there to chat, it seems like. And this is really where I noticed like the difference in their relationship in comparison with previous times that they've talked. Um, he mentions that Suki had been into to the diner and um, changed the subject quickly away from the dragonfly to women's basketball, which she didn't really seem to know much about. <laughs> and so Lorelai then tells him about the fight that they had and he gives like great advice. He at first he kind of I don't he's not playing devil's advocate, but he is just like giving her the permission. <laughs> so she says, you know, what if it doesn't work? And he his response is kind of then just don't do it, like don't take that leap. And I thought that was great because sometimes when you're afraid of taking a risk you just need somebody to acknowledge that it's fine not to. And that gives you like mm-hmm. the final push to just go ahead and do it anyways. Um, or at least move forward with it. So, I, yeah, I thought his his advice and conversation here was really interesting. And Yeah. And he ultimately, ultimately is like, you should jump in and you'll be scared. But if you stick with it, it will eventually get fun. Mm-hmm. Um, which was another good bit of advice Mm -hmm. and overall I feel like if Fort like gives us a glimpse to the whole like he can be there to help with like this conflict resolution or help her make these big decisions without getting too into like yeah because he's like you could stay at the inn and be fine or you could jump in and take this risk and um he just like ultimately helps her make that decision and probably inspires her to go talk to Suki as well it's Mm -hmm. like Perhaps they could have a healthy romantic relationship down the line. Go figure. Yeah, <laughs> if they just continue talking like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and in this scene as well, Lorelai admits like what got her so shaken up and antagonistic and kind of like lashing out was that information that she'd be losing the independence in from Mia. And she describes it as like losing her memory home or the place that was more of a home than her parents' home, and that is the thing that hurts the most. And I think that foreshadows not only the conversation between Emily and Mia later on about the hotel being her home, but also just kind of, I guess, is the bit of information we might have been missing about, like, why Mm -hmm. did Lorelai react so negatively um, in the way that she did before? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, we leave this conversation straight back to the inn where Lorelai does apologize to Suki. At first, um, Suki is kind of terse back to Lorelai, which she definitely deserves. And mm-hmm. Lorelai apologizes, kind of explains what she was thinking and that she does want to continue on with her plans. And here I thought was another great instance of Suki advocating for herself um, she says that, yes, yeah, she does want to go on with their plans, but first she needs a guarantee that Lorelai won't just flake out on her again or, like, uh, blow mm-hmm. up on her again. And it's kind of like a, they both need to understand, like, Lorelai needs to understand Suki's capacity in this and what she's, she's bringing to the table and Suki needs to know what Lorelai is also bringing to the table and that can't be another blow up. So I thought that was a great way for Suki to accept the apology. She could have easily just said, like, yeah, it's okay, which I feel like is often kind of what we're 
I don't encourage to do is just accept an apology, but Mm -hmm. sometimes you do need that extra assurance that it's not going to happen again because you can, you can apologize all you want, but if you keep doing the same thing, then your apologies don't mean anything. (laughs) So uh, I think Laurel, I needed to hear that. Definitely. Well, then following this scene, uh, like meanwhile, Emily arrives at the inn to see Mia and this was my gazebo moment actually. Um, I feel like once again just highlighting a scene that has such like emotional complexity and depth to it that kind of resonates with me and is something that I like will think about in the days following (laughs) the episode. Um, And it's simply like this interaction between Mia and Emily after Emily heard that Mia was in town And she basically says that she wanted to come see the woman who helped raise her daughter. Mia says she's wanted to meet her too, that she's like expected her to come at some point, which Emily, meanwhile, is like, I'm surprised that I'm here after all these years. Uh, They have this conversation that is fairly like awkward. Mia says like, we should have tea. It's usually better to have stuff in our hands for conversations (laughs) like this, which was like very emotionally intelligent, I thought, on her part. Um, but they have this like back and forth about, um, Emily suggesting that a hotel is not a home. Uh, Mia's like a home is where you're happiest. Emily counters with home is where your family is. (laughs) And essentially it boils down to this disagreement they have about how, uh, Mia says like, well, when Lorelai arrived, I thought about like, if this were my daughter, what would I want for her? I'd want her to find somebody who would take her in and make her safe. And Emily kind of takes that in and responds with, I'd want her to be found by someone who would tell her to like go home. And you see their like, you see their conflict there. But the scene poignantly ends with like, as Emily has turned to walk away, you think she's kind of said her final piece, but she kind of turns around with the door partly open and says, um, do you have any pictures from those years? <laughs> Makes me so sad to even say it. And uh, basically Mia agrees like, yes, I do. And I'll send them to you like tomorrow. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to like say all of the lines because they're so, mm-hmm. they just have, carry so much weight, you know, and it, there's so much there to unpack, but I feel like the lines can speak for themselves. It's such a good scene. Yeah. And the, the acting was so great. Mm-hmm. I was just astounded by how gracious Mia was the entire time. Yeah, completely. Like, Emily is there to confront her, like, with that singular purpose. And Mia is just, like, welcoming and understanding. And she doesn't push Emily. And she yeah. doesn't, like, try and defend her choice to take Lorelai in, really. And so that means that Emily can't really get um, antagonistic or anything. So, yeah, I thought it was great scene and I would love to see all those baby pictures also that'd be so cute yeah yeah I feel like overall you feel Mia's compassion in like quiet and graceful ways in the scene and Emily's like hurt of course but also like the optimistic reading of it is perhaps like her closure as well like I hope meeting Mia and then getting photos of the years that she missed out on I hope those are like little things that can give her some resolution about the things that she missed out on um 
again, of course, this isn't resolved perfectly right now, but yeah. <laughs> it could be a moment of closure for her. And it's interesting the parallel that pictures are playing in this episode, like with the mm. portrait of Rory to have this big significance for Richard and also for Emily as kind of like Rory is now a huge part of their lives and somebody really dear to them. And then also she's also missing pictures from all these years and Mm -hmm. I just I don't know there's not really a huge point to that but I was just noticing that pictures are playing a huge part here (laughs) yeah that's really I think that's a good point especially because at one point they talk about how Lorelai never got the painting of her done Mm -hmm. because she went through like three (laughs) painters and she scowled the whole time and things like that so it's like there and also Lorelai destroyed her baby pictures mm-hmm. right oh, true. <laughs> so there's like so much like missing um like photographic or painting captures of Lorelai as their daughter and like when Lorelai was Rory's age that's like when this kind of like black hole opens mm-hmm. up in terms of memories and whatnot so I do think you're on to something there about like the her Emily's like eagerness to capture like evidence of these memories and family members and whatnot i hope she makes a little scrapbook (laughs) yeah (laughs) but after this we finish up the episode with a quick scene at luke's again um lorelei is talking about how she's happy that the fight with suki is over and so am i (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then we get this great moment of they order toast or something and Luke is like, well, I can't do toast or it'll take a while because I just have this small toaster. And Jess comes over, flips the big toaster on, is like, mm-hmm. he's fixed it. Of course, he doesn't take credit for it and he denies that he did anything. But mm-hmm. as he's walking out the door, he and Rory exchange this glance that I thought was very loaded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of mirrors their earlier eye contact they make mm-hmm. where like Rory sees the phony crime scene and looks away, looks at Jess and like knows he did it. And here she looks at him and knows that he like listened to her and did something nice for Luke. Mm-hmm. And it's just the very beginning of like, yeah, their relationship where they know each other on this like deep level already. From their like very few conversations. <laughs> yeah, they have such a connection, an intellectual mm-hmm. connection. Indeed. Well, that was the episode. I'm surprised that we got through it without missing a lot of things because it was a jam-packed episode. Full yeah. Of emotional we did good. moments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're listening. Please give us reviews. Not to beg, but please give us reviews <laughs> and follow us on Instagram. Alexis has also started at TikTok, so you can keep up with us there. And mm-hmm. don't forget, oh, those are both at uh, Talking Fast Podcast. And don't forget to email us your gazebo moments that we're collecting for a recap episode at talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. And see you next Talk time. Talk to you next week. <laughs>